do you ever get upset at yourself? I mean, you know, really, really disappointed in yourself. I have to tell you, I, I do. And sometimes it's because of the choices I make and the things I do that I, I wish I wouldn't have. And other times it's because of choices I don't make and the things I don't do that I wish I would have. And I have to tell you something about me. When I'm, when I'm in this space, you know, that space of being supremely disappointed with myself, upset at myself, I, I hate it. I mean, that's not where I want to live. I don't want to live in the, in the sorrow of having messed up or not done something. I want to live in the joy of the potential that God's given me. It's just who I am. I'm sure you're the same way. I'll give you an example, a real-world example from my life right now. For quite a while, I have felt God stirring in me, actually nudging me to turn some of my teaching here at Northridge into books so that those teachings and truths could go to a wider audience for impact. But even though it's been God, I feel like, who's been nudging me, I haven't, I haven't reshuffled my life to do it. You know, I haven't subtracted the things that need to be subtracted and in order to add the investment of doing that. And so to be honest, I've been really upset with and disappointed in myself. I want to do what God's nudging me to do, not what is most convenient for me. As a result, I've been, I've been trying to process the reasons that I've failed in this area, since it's not what I want. I don't want to live disappointed and upset with myself. And, and as I've done the processing, I've landed on the idea that, that my failure in this area boils down to one thing boils down to my view. I've been living for the short term, you know, the scene, what I feel, and rather than living for the long term, the unseen, that which is of true value for me. And you just have to understand, writing is time-consuming work. I, I know this all too well from the first book I wrote. It is an arduous activity, and and it's not like my day job's not full and difficult already. I mean, you know, my day job, I'm leading this organization. What a privilege it is, but it's, it's difficult. It comes with all kinds of different priorities. I have to study and come up with and write these talks that I give almost every weekend here. And it's, I mean, it's a full-time job. And so with the very limited time that I have that's free for myself, that I, I, I just... I've just kind of decided to do the things that are easier and more enjoyable for me. You know, for example, does, well, does binge watching ring a bell for any of you? You know, I mean, a lot of good stuff on Netflix and Hulu after all. So, so really the question is, since it doesn't fit what I ultimately long for for myself, why, why do I do this? Why? Why do I limit myself in such a way? And it's because, again, I have the wrong view. You see, my view determines how I live. My view determines what I live for. My view determines what I value, what I do, and what I don't do in my life. That's, that's what determines it. And when it comes to 
making the investment to write, I've been living for the scene. You know, the, that which I feel like I'll enjoy most in that day, what I feel like doing in the moment, rather than living for the unseen, the eternal investment that I know God is nudging me to make in my life. Now, can you relate to this in any area of your life? The reality is that no matter who we are, we blow it in our lives when our view is wrong, when we live for the, the seen, the temporary issues of life, rather than the unseen, the eternal issues of life. This is what we do, we blow it. And this is especially true now in our spiritual lives, in our, in our longing to connect with and to walk with God, to experience his presence and promises and fullness in our lives. You see, and I, I just have to really be honest, many of us claim to have faith in Jesus, but we don't see the world or ourselves or others as Jesus does. We, we don't see our see or live according to the unseen realities that are forever. So here's what we do. We make choices that will ultimately leave us eternally disappointed. This is exactly what happened to many of the religious leaders in Jesus' day. It's the reason they lived such messed up lives. I, I want to share with you a short story from those who were in spiritual influence in Jesus' day and messed up so profoundly. Matthew chapter 23, beginning with verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Those who have spiritual influence have been given positions of great spiritual impact. They're, they actually sit in Moses' seat. Those are the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And look what he says. He says, because they've been given by God spiritual influence, they sit in Moses' seat. You must obey them and do everything they tell you because they're simply opening God's scripture, God's truth, and they're telling you what God has outlined for you. But then look what Jesus says. It's a crazy curveball. He says, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. In fact, everything they do is done for people to see. Here's the question. Were they living for the seen or the unseen. They were living for the seen. Straight up. And here's the part that you need to capture because this is where it starts really identifying our problems here in the 21st century. They were living for the seen, but they didn't even realize it. They were in positions of spiritual authority that God had put them in. They were opening the scriptures. They were gathering in places like this. And, and they really, really were high on themselves. But the truth is, they weren't living for the unseen realities of God. They were living for the seen realities that they wanted to experience. The popularity, the celebrity, the acceptance, the, the joy, the positions of power. And so they were living for the seen, but they didn't realize it. And these were the leaders of God's people, which explains why they were so messed up and they missed everything was Je that Jesus was doing in the world and, and why God's people were so messed up. But here's what we have to understand. The same happens today in the lives of many of us who call ourselves Christians, and it happens without us realizing it. Because we, we're, we go, come on. And we're gathering in a spiritual environment like this. We're... 
We're wanting to hear, you know, truth or at least seek out whether there is a truth to pursue. We're, we're trying to engage these issues and some of us feel like, man, we're all in and committed to that and, and we think everything we do is honoring Jesus and everything we're doing is, is pleasing to God because we're Christians and we gather in places like this, but that's exactly how these religious leaders felt. They were living not for the unseen in spite of how they were gathering. They were living for the seen and blowing it. And the same can happen to us without even realizing it. Here's the truth that I want us to see as we continue in this series called Unseen. We need to understand that following Jesus doesn't automatically change how we see Following Jesus doesn't automatically change how we see. Just because we make a decision to follow Jesus and to start listening to his truth and trying to understand his truth and living our lives more in alignment with what he says doesn't mean we change how we view the world. The truth is, the great majority of us, me included by the way, are still more motivated by and more compelled by and more in alignment with a life living for the moment, living for how we feel, living for the seen, than we are living for the unseen. And, and yet we think we're doing right. We don't even realize often we're doing wrong and yet our life keeps falling short. We keep messing up. We're, we're not experiencing God's best in our life and we can't figure it out. It, just like the religious leaders in that day and it all boils down to this. It's not automatic. This issue of seeing the world through Jesus' eyes. It's not automatic. And this explains why so many of us follow Jesus and yet we still live such messed up lives. We can be Christians and still have the wrong view. We can be genuinely awake to Jesus and, I've learned this personally, genuinely messed up at the same time. We, we can believe in Jesus without living for him. And I, I know that the vast majority of you can relate to this just as I can. It explains the reason. And just know, this isn't unique to us in the 21st century. This is a unique reality for all of humanity, even back in the days of the early church. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Paul was writing to a church very much like ours, the church at Corinth. It was in a culture very much like ours. It was a booming ministry very much like ours. A lot of people's lives were changing. They were going from not following Jesus to following Jesus just like ours, but, but they weren't experiencing a change of view. And he writes this, brothers and sisters, I... I couldn't even talk to you as people who live by the Spirit, but I had to talk to you as people who are still worldly. People, he, he'd say, I couldn't talk to you as spiritual people, you know, people who are living for the unseen realities of God, the unseen truth of God, the unseen realities of eternity, but instead, I have to talk to you as I would talk to anybody in the world who's not following Jesus, as people who live for the seen. You're reacting to the moment, you're living in the moment, and all your choices are being built upon that. He says, I... I have to talk to you like you're mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready to handle the deeper things of God. Indeed, you're still not ready, he says, because you're still worldly. You're, you're not living for the unseen. You're living for the seen. And, and, then, and then he tells them how he can prove it. He says, it's because I can see that you're still filled with jealousy and quarreling. 
Doesn't that prove you're worldly? By the way, who are the people who are jealous? Aren't they the people who think God shortchanged them? Aren't those the people who feel like they're missing something in life? Aren't those the people who are feeling ripped off? Aren't those the people who feel falsely entitled and they're not getting what they want? Isn't this who they are? They're jealous of other people? Of course, because they're living for the scene. And they're saying, other people have more than I have. Other people have a better life than I have. Other people have been given better opportunities than I've been given. And so what they do is they, they, they're jealous of other people. And are you kidding? If you're living for the unseen, you know that God has given all of himself for you, that he is good and he's pouring out his fullness in your life, but, but you're not living for that, right? Of course. And so... So I said, you guys are living like this, those who live for this world instead of those who live for God, and that just makes you worldly. He says, aren't you just acting like mere humans? And that doesn't mean Christians aren't supposed to be humans. He, he's mean, aren't you acting like everybody else on this planet who's living for the moment instead of experiencing life through the lens of the eternal, the seen versus the unseen? And he, the answer is yes. And here's the thing. I'm them. Aren't you? Here's the application I want to give you, and this is odd. If you're a guest, I'm so glad that you're here, but I'm giving the application right up front because I feel like we have to get really practical about how to insert it into our life, and so the rest of the talk is going to be application. And, and here's the application, the, the so what, the, the what you can do with this truth aspect of the talk. If we're going to experience the life and fulfillment that Jesus promised, if we're going to avoid being extremely disappointed and upset with ourselves forever and ever and ever, then then we have to choose his view. We have to choose his view. It's a choice we have to make. This isn't something that happens automatically. Just because you're, you've chosen to follow Jesus doesn't mean you've experienced a change of view, which means you can be following Jesus just like those religious leaders were trying to follow God the best they knew how, but they were missing all of the promises of God. And I think many of us are right there too. If you want to experience the presence and power and fullness of God in your life, you have to choose his view. It's a choice. I'll start where I left off last weekend, and if you didn't see the opening talk of this series, please, please view it. We give it away. It's on northridgechurch.com. You can see it as an on-demand talk. You can go to my Facebook page, Pastor Brad Powell, and I did Facebook Live last week, and you can view it through there, but get caught up, okay? And, and Romans 12.2 is one of the verses I used, and it really highlights this application. Paul says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here's what he's saying. He said, you've got to make a choice. And remember, he's talking to people who already know Jesus. He's talking to people who've already trusted Jesus. And some of you haven't, but most of you have. And, and I'm telling you, he's, he's saying in Romans 1 through 11, the first 11 chapters, he's saying, this is all Jesus has done for us. It's transformative. It's unbelievable. You can know everything God wants for you. But then in chapter 12, he says, but... To experience it, you have to make a choice. And he says, you, you have to choose not to live any longer like the rest of the people in the world, you know, mere humans who are living for the scene. You can't live through the lens of the scene. You have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to live for the unseen. And when you do, he says, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You'll be able to experience the life of fullness that God wants for you. And that's what I want. Isn't that what you want? You have to choose his view. You have to choose his view. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us what the view difference is. It's, it's exactly what I've been talking about. If we're going to experience Jesus' fullness in our lives, we have to live by faith. That's the unseen. Not by sight. That's the seen. 
And the problem is, too many of us are still living by sight, trying to follow Jesus by sight, trying to live out his truths and understand his truths by sight, trying to experience his promises by sight. It will never happen, which is why so many of us, listen, I'm trying to be real here, it's why so many of us, me so often included, aren't experiencing his, his promises. And we keep saying, I'm trying the best I can, I'm doing the best I can, I'm working it hard. The problem is, you can try all you want, but if you're living with your sight, you'll never get there. You'll never understand Jesus until you view life through the unseen. You'll never experience his promises until you embrace the unseen. You have to live by faith, not by sight. So, since this is such a big deal, let's get practical. How do we do it? And I hope you'll track with me here. This is all about how do I choose his view? To make that choice, first of all, we have to, we have to understand Jesus' view. We have to literally understand Jesus' view. I, the truth is, most of us don't. And I'm not being mean here, I'm being honest. If I, if I could have had the privilege, I, there's no way this will ever happen, but if, I wish I could. If I could have had the privilege of standing at the doors of where we broadcast our talks from here in Plymouth and meeting every single one of you individually, or if I could have had the privilege of somehow transporting myself to each of our regional campuses, and we're live right now with two of our regional campuses, Brighton and, and Grosseal, so thankful for you. And, and if I could have met each of you individually and asked, what's Jesus' view? You guys would have been all over the map. You know, well, I think his view is that, you know, uh, this and that. I, I think his view is that your political party is really, really important. Yeah, because he talked a lot about that in the Bible. And then there's, I, I think his view is this, and it's all about your view. But the truth is, when we don't understand his view, there's no way we can embrace it and ultimately choose it. So the very first thing we have to do is we have to understand Jesus' view. So what I, what I want to do here this weekend is I want to outline the the big picture of Jesus' view. The good news is over the course of the next six weeks of the series, I'll, I'm going to dig deeper into each one of these things so that we can understand them more and weave them into the fabric of our lives. But I hope this weekend the big view picture will really make a major dent in your life like it has mine. You see, Jesus' view, every moment of his life was clear. Jesus' view was that life is eternal. Life's eternal. In fact, he even said it in John 6, 27. He says, don't work for food that spoils, but, but for food that endures to eternal life. Now, he's not saying you don't have to eat physical food. He's saying you don't have to live your whole life for it. In fact, he's saying, look it, don't live your life for the food that nourishes you essentially in the moment. Live for the food that nourishes you for eternity, the will of God, the truth of God, because you're eternal and it's more important. Then he says, this is what the Son of God's going to give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus' view of, of the world, Jesus' view of himself, Jesus' view of others was that life is eternal. And by the way, that view changed everything about how he lived. Because when... 
Jesus was betrayed a lot. Jesus experienced the darkness of this world a lot. Jesus experienced negative circumstances a ton. And how do we naturally react to that? Well, we usually get mad at God. We wonder how can God be a good God and allow these things to happen to us and all that different stuff because we're living in the moment and the moment is all we have. And if God's letting this happen in all we have, then he must be a bad God. But Jesus never saw life that way. Jesus, in all the darkness he experienced, knew that life is eternal. This moment is a, but a speck of time and life is eternal. So his reaction and his choice and the way he lived was bigger than the moment he was experiencing for him. Life was eternal. It changed how he treat people who betrayed him. This is important because he knew that in that moment they were really destroying him but they were more important and they were more than just that moment. Their life was eternal and he wanted to show them the eternal realities of God and so it changed how we reacted. Why do we react like we do in the moment? Because for us life is the moment. We're living for the seen instead of the unseen. Do you get it? But it was more than just life is eternal. Jesus, his view of the world went beyond life just being eternal and he, he talked about some spiritual unseen realities that very often were not embracing. For Jesus, his view was always, always through the lens that Satan is real. <laughs> Don't hear much of that in the 21st century, right? Hey, when's the last time you, yeah, Satan is real. I bet you don't go to work. And they say, now work hard because Satan's real. That's just not happening in our culture very much. But Jesus' view was that Satan is real, that the fight is on, and that if we're not aware of it, we will already be defeated, which is exactly where most of us are. We live in a world that lives for the seen, and because of that, the idea of an evil one, of a satanic figure, is a joke to us. It's foolish to us, but the problem is, when you live for the unseen, you understand that the war is on. And that's why Jesus had victory in his temptation, and why so often we fail in ours, because he knew what was going on. Read about it in Matthew 4. But he called it in our lives. In fact, remember I showed you the religious leaders and how the religious leaders were, were really messing up and they didn't even realize they were living for the seen instead of the unseen. Look what Jesus said to them in John 8, 44. Talk about a view that Satan is real. He said to the religious leaders, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. You're living for his desires, the momentary pleasure of what he wants. And because of it, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. His only truth is what he wants, and that's exactly the truth that we live by in this culture. And he says when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies, of course, because, because if all I have is this moment, I'll do whatever I can to make this moment what I want this moment to be. But, but it all boils down to the fact that there's more than this moment. So life is eternal was his view. Satan is real was his view. And it changed everything about how he lived because of it. And the reason we don't live like him is because we don't have the same view. Do you see it? But it goes bigger than this. So his view was through the lens that life is eternal and Satan is real. But his, his view, because he was viewing life through the unseen, also put another dagger in how our, how our world lives, how we live. He saw the world through this lens. Truth is absolute. God's truth is absolute. Well, in our culture, people say there is no absolute truth. You know, your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and we can do whatever we want, live and let live, and it creates for this chaos we call our culture and our world here in the 21st century. But, but that's not how Jesus viewed the world. He knew 
that God had spoken a truth and that truth was absolute. Look at John 17, 17. He said, sanctify them. By that he means make them holy. Help them experience the right life. How? By the truth. And then he says, God, your word is truth. It's absolute. Jesus knew there was an absolute truth and it was God's truth. And because of it, he lined his whole life up to it. And this is why he lived differently. Do you know why he lived perfectly and we live so imperfectly? Do you know why he never failed and we consistently fail? Because we live by our truth in the moment. He lived by God's eternal truth, the absolute truth, and it changed everything. You've got to understand this. His view was different. John 14, 6, Jesus even said this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He stated that in absolutes because he viewed life through the absolute truth, and until we see it this way, we will never experience life as he designed it. And think about it, there are many of us who claim to follow Jesus, but we don't view life through the lens of the eternal, and we don't view every day through the reality that Satan is real and that the war is on, and we don't live every day understanding that there is an absolute truth by which all of life will be ex experienced or judged one day. He had another view, a huge influence in his life. He looked through the lens of the fact that since, since truth is absolute, obedience is essential. I mean, this is as far out as the idea that Satan is real in our culture. I mean, the word obedience is a word we want to throw away. How dare you say I have to obey anyone? I am an individual. I am a person who can make up my own mind. I am a person who has the right to do what I want to do. Don't tell me what I need to do. And that's exactly what people who live through the lens of the scene say because they're living for this moment and the only thing that matters is themselves. But Jesus lived for the unseen. And which means he said, since God has given us the absolute truth, my only responsibility is to obey. It's essential. That's where life will come from. That's where hope will come from. But that's not the lens we tend to live through. It's not the lens that the religious leaders in Jesus' day were living through. It's not the lens that many of us live through. Are, are you seeing the symmetry here from them to us? We're living for the seen instead of the unseen in spite of what we sing and what we say. Obedience is essential. Jesus said it this way in Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. He replied, blessed. And you need to know that word blessed is the word that defines everything we long for, satisfaction, contentment, significance. Blessed is, is the one who hears the word of God and obeys it. Not the one who does what they want to do and follows their own truth and disobeys God. The one who obeys God. Obedience is essential. The biggest problem that all of us have, including myself, is that we live out of alignment with what God has asked for us. The, remember what I said in my introduction? And the writing thing's not the biggest issue in my life, but, but if God's the one that's nudging me to do that, and I'm not doing it, what am I doing? I'm disobeying. And I'm doing it because, man, I just deserve some time to relax and and come on, I've got to see Black Mirror. How else am I going to relate to you people? You know, that kind of thing. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Do you know how many people say they love Jesus, but in no way are they living in alignment with his commands? 
You see, we can follow Jesus and still be really messed up because we have the wrong view. We can even feel like we're doing right, but we're doing absolutely wrong. I think a great example of this comes with, with baptism. This, uh, this coming weekend, we're going to be baptizing, and, and baptism really, according to God's word, is the first step of obedience, really. After you become a follower of Jesus, the first thing Jesus commands is, okay, I want you now to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's this issue of simple, and it, by the way, it's one of the simplest things you'll ever be able to obey. I mean, come on, you, you get wet a little bit, and that's it, right? But the vast majority of people who say they start following Jesus refuse to get baptized because they did something religious when they were babies or they did something religious before and they didn't. And I was in the same boat. I, I had a hard time with this, but I finally had to come to the place where I said, all of my life I've done what I've wanted to do and I've gotten to the wrong place. For once I'm going to do what I don't want to do but what Jesus has asked me to do. It. I'm going to line my life up with what he's requested and the moment I did that, my life changed forever. Not because baptism changed me but because I finally said, yes, I'll obey you. And it changed me. And I just want to encourage you. If you haven't started living a life of obedience, what a great place to start. At all of our campuses, we have people in the lobby. You can connect with them, ask questions, and you can get, be a part of the baptism experience next weekend. We'd love for you to do that. In fact, just so you know, you won't be alone. A bunch of people are going to be a part of that. Just this last Friday night, I had a thing called Discover Northridge. We had uh, between three and 400 people here just kind of saying, we're new here. We'd like to know more about this place. And you want to get excited. Uh, 25 of them have told us that for the very first time they put faith in Jesus at Discover Northridge. It was really exciting. Out of, out of those people, 34 of those people, a bunch have already been in, but 34 of those people said, we're going to commit to getting baptized this coming weekend. We're really, really excited about that. And so I, I, I encourage you just to understand Jesus lived in obedience to the Father because he knew obedience was the way to experiencing all the Father's promise in his life, and this is the view we need to choose. It's so different than the one we have. One last view I'll kind of share with you that Jesus had. Jesus viewed the whole world through this idea. Love is priority. Love is priority. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, without love, we're nothing. Talk about making it a priority. You know how he viewed the world? He viewed his world through the lens that the primary value in the world is people. People are the primary value. In fact, look what he says in John 13, 34, and 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you vote right, no, it's not in there. Here's how everyone will know that you're my disciples. You watch the right news channel. Here's how everyone will know that you're my disciples. You go to Northridge. Well, that might be true. No, not really. I'm just kidding. That's not true. Here, here's, here's how they'll know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. But that's not how we live. Are you kidding? A person gets in front of me and they wait a millisecond before they put their foot on the gas, when the light turns green, and I'm all over those people, let me just tell you right now, because I'm viewing life in, the, in terms of now, not forever. I'm viewing, I'm viewing life through the lens that I'm the most important person in the world instead of through the lens that that person's important. Do you ever do stuff like You don't do stuff like that, right? He, he viewed the world through the lens that 
that people are the priority, love is priority, and it changed everything he did. You know why he died on a cross? He didn't die on the cross because he deserved it, because he was perfect in the wages of sin is death. He died on a cross because he loved us so much that he died in our place. Wouldn't our life change if we started making love the priority? It would. We couldn't keep people away from this place. Because people want that. Well, if we're going to choose his view, we have to understand his view. Now that you've got a glimpse of that, I, I need to give you the second idea. If we're going to choose his view, we have to, we have to reject our natural view. We have to reject our natural view. Uh, have to recognize it and reject it. And if I could just say it right up front, our, our natural view is exactly opposite of his view. My natural view is that my life depends on this moment, what's experiencing to me, not life is eternal. My natural view makes it very, very clear that, that I get up every single day and I'm trying to, to fight through life, but I never think about Satan is real, not naturally. And I, I don't think about absolute truth. I think about my truth and what I want and my dreams. And very often in the name of Jesus, I'm asking God to help me fulfill my truth and I don't even care about his truth. And my natural view has nothing to do with obeying him. It has, it has to do with obeying my impulses and my desires and my dreams and my cultural context. My, my view has nothing to do whatsoever with love as priority. It has to do with me as priority. Doesn't that your natural view? And because of this, in John 3, Jesus, Jesus really nailed it. He said, this is the verdict. You want the final, the final reality? Light has come into the world, but people have loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. The realities of God's unseen light has come into this world, but we've chosen the darkness that we get by living for the seen. He called it. And let me just tell you why. He, he tells us through Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God but considers them foolishness. Cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. Can, can I explain that passage to you really quickly? The person without the Spirit of God. The person who is not living a truly spiritual life, the person who is not living for the unseen considers everything God says as foolish because it doesn't make sense when you're living for the scene. Look at forgiving the person that's hurting you makes no sense if all that matters is right now. But forgiving the person that's hurting you matters significantly if right now matters forever. It changes everything. And so we have to reject our natural view but that passage, 1 Corinthians 2.14, tells us that something dramatic has to happen in our life if we're going to go beyond understanding Jesus' view and beyond rejecting our natural view and actually embracing his view, living for the unseen. And you know what that dramatic thing is? God has to do the work in us. We can't do it ourselves. Which leads me to the last concept. If we're going to make the choice to live by his view, to live for the unseen, we need to, and I mean it profoundly, we need to allow God to change our view. It's one thing to understand Jesus' view. 
Oh yeah, he saw life as eternal. He said blah, 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 blah. The religious leaders understood God's view. They just didn't live it. Quite frankly, in their teaching, they often reject their natural view. It's just that they didn't change it. And the reason was because they couldn't. Religion never gets us there. But Jesus can transform us. And so if we're going to live for the unseen and experience all God has for us, we have to allow God to change our view. And I want to give you several components of it. We need to allow God to change our view through his son. Through his son. Remember Jesus said it, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but my me. We, if we're going to experience this transformation, it's got to be through God's son. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You want to experience a new life? You need to allow God to change your view from seen to unseen through the power of Jesus in you. Have you? If you're going to allow God to change your view, it's through his son, that's true, but the way you're going to truly know his son is through his word. We have to allow God to change our view through his word. His truth is transformative. His truth changes everything. Look at how Psalm 119.9 says it. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? How can we live the right way? By living according to your word, God. Psalm 1, 1 and 2, blessed, content, significant, happy, satisfied is the one who does not walk and step with the, the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditate on his law day and night. God transforms our view when we go from filling our soul up with the seen junk of this culture to going to fill up our soul with the reality of his eternal truth, it changes everything. Just process your week this past week. I would, I would bet that, as with me, you internalized more of the stuff from the seen world than you did of God's word, right? You responded more to what was happening to you in this temporary moment than you did respond to the eternal realities of God. No wonder we claim to follow Jesus, but we don't experience his presence or promises. We're still living for the scene. We're just like those religious leaders. It's killing us, but we don't have to be there. I, I'm so disappointed with myself and upset with myself at times, but the good news is he can change me and you. If we're going to experience this change of view, we have to allow God to change us through his son and through his word, but also, this is important, through his spirit. We already saw that if we don't have the spirit in us, the things of God are foolishness. We can't live for the unseen, but, but we can have his spirit through his son, through his word. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and on. It says, so I live by the spirit. So live by the spirit, he's saying, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The things that disappoint us are when we live for the moment instead of living for the eternal. He says, but if you live by the spirit, you'll no longer live a life of disappointment. In fact, then he jumps to verse 22 and he says, in fact, when you live by the Spirit, look what happens. The fruit of the Spirit in you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are you kidding? If I had those nine realities in my life, I'm no longer upset at myself. 
I'm no longer disappointed. Are you kidding? Everything that makes me upset with myself stems from the failure of those areas. You say, what about the book thing? Self-control. Binge watching is the opposite of self-control, I might add. Not that you can't have the spirit and binge watch, but you can't have the spirit and binge watch a TV show and never binge on God's word. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know what the vast majority of us would say? I've never read the Bible through, but we've seen Breaking Bad a hundred billion times. Or The Walking Dead or some other thing. We, we, we have to let the Spirit in. Allow God to change you through His Spirit. Changes everything. So can I ask you, are you ready? Are, are you ready to allow Him to do this? This is not an invitation to a couple of you who've never trusted Jesus. This is an invitation to every single person experiencing this talk right now. It's an invitation to you. Because it doesn't matter where you're at in your spectrum of, of time in being a Christian or not a Christian. It, because every single one of us have a next step to take. Every single one of us still has a step to take from the seen into the unseen. Every single one of us, no matter who we are, needs to allow God to change our view in an area and a, in a matter in our life through his son and through his word and through his spirit. Are you ready? Are you ready to allow him to? Just before I, I give you my last thought in this talk and send you on your way, I'm going to give you a chance to, to allow God to do that in your life, to pray and spend some time with him. And as you all pray, I'm... For those of you in particular who've never even taken your first step into Jesus, I want to encourage you to pray with me. I'm going to pray. Take my words and make it your words to God in your heart, okay? So would you all bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment? And as we pray, if I encourage you to be talking to God about what's going on in your life, the views that need to change for you. But if you're ready to take a step into Jesus, pray with me just in your heart. Say, God, I need you. I need to go from living for the scene where I've blown it and I've failed and I've, I've messed up to living for the unseen realities of you. And to do that, I need you to forgive me. So right now, I put my faith and trust in Jesus who died on the cross for my sin and rose again to give me new life. And I'm asking you, God, to save me, change me now. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed with me, just before I give you these last thoughts, I, I want to encourage you, let me know. We've actually put together information about next steps that you can take in your relationship with God, and we want to give you a Bible. And uh, this is true for those of you in our campus settings and those of you watching Facebook right now or watching through our on-demand or live stream. In our campus setting, all you have to do is fill out the connection card in our program. If you're online, just hit the what next button and you can do the same thing. The two relevant issues, there are two boxes. Check one of them. If you prayed with me, you say, I prayed for Jesus for the first time to save me or I prayed to renew my faith. Whichever it is, fill it out, check those off, put it in one of the boxes in the back and we'll send you that information online. Just hit the what next button and follow through with that and I encourage you to do it.
Can I give you two other thoughts? Uh, now that you've stepped into Jesus, you're, you're starting off. We have a ministry called Starting Point, and the groups are going to start again in a, in a short while. In fact, today is registration weekend, and so if you're in one of our campus settings, would you go into the lobby and connect with our Starting Point group people? Register to start out. It is a great way to kick off your new journey with God, and I really encourage you to do that. And one last one. Last weekend, we did something different. We announced that as a follow-up to the talk, I was going to do Facebook Live at 12.15, in the afternoon on Wednesday, and we did, and a bunch of you joined us, which we appreciated, and we were able to, it's not a repeat of the talk, I'm gonna go to different places out of the talk, and then I'm going to answer questions that you guys have when you interact with me on Facebook Live, and we're gonna get better and better at this, I hope, and so all you have to do to be a part of it is go to Pastor Brad Powell on Facebook, follow me so that you'll get notices when I'm going live, and then you can connect with that. I'd love to spend some time spiritually digging into this issue with you. It's about 30 minutes, and I, I think it can be great benefit, okay? Here's how I wanna end the talk. This week, Let's start making our choices and living our lives based upon the unseen rather than the seen. Let's start doing that. Let me tell you how that'll look in my life. I guess I need to start getting ready to write um, among many other things, you know. Thank you. I... Uh, three people bought my last book, so hopefully maybe five this time. But, but really pray, it's hard, it's hard. But there are other issues I have to confront. But here's what I want to ask you. What are you going to start doing differently? It's not good enough that you came and heard a talk. The question is, what are you going to start doing differently? Let me ask it this way. What's God been nudging you to do? Maybe he's been nudging you to get into his word a little bit more. Maybe he's been nudging you to pray a little bit more. Maybe he's been nudging you to get in a group. Maybe he's been nudging you to serve. Maybe he's been nudging you to forgive someone that you've had a broken relationship with. I don't know what he's nudging you on. Maybe he's been nudging you to invite someone, you know, to come to church or to share your faith. I don't know. But start there. Because if God's nudging, it's eternal. And it can change your life forever. And don't forget, everyone you meet this week is someone who desperately needs Jesus. Why not invite them to meet him here next weekend? Wouldn't it be awesome if you were sitting with someone new next weekend? Thanks for coming. So glad you're here. See you next week, everybody.
the land. 